Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Welcome to Anime World Order. This is kind of an unusual episode. This is episode 69, and there's a cell phone ringing. (laughs) I threw it across the hall. I don't like that phone anyway. Episode 69. No one's going to know what we're talking about. <laughs> no. It'll get cut That's out. getting edited out. <laughs> this is episode 69, part 3. This episode features largely Clarissa's doujinshi segment. And some other nerd tits girl, too, named Zero-Chan. And Zero-Chan, of course. But because that would make an episode of Anime World Order under three hours long, we'd thought that, you know, that was unacceptable. Yeah. So... What we felt like we'd do was catch up on some of the news that's been coming out by adding this news segment in. Even though we already had a news segment, this is a second one. It's a bonus news segment because we didn't want to get comically out of date. We're just stupidly out of date now. So let's get on with that then. Just so everybody knows, check out the website at AnimeWorldOrder.com, email us at AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com, or call our voicemail at 206-666-4296. We should probably start responding to some of those directly once in a while. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, the news. First and foremost, who would have ever thought that this would happen? Who would have ever thought that we would see the day when a company that wants to charge $150 for some anime that was previously released for $40 would ever go under? Yes. I'm talking about Bandai Visual, of course. Wait, 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 wait. Bandai Visual went under? Yeah, I can't How believe it. Shit, dude. I, I never I would have no seen idea. it coming. crazy. I, I, <laughs> no, wait, wait. Bandai Visual, I mean, they had it together. I know. They, they knew the markets better than they anybody. They knew what anime fan wants better than anyone. Man, this can't be good. What could have caused this? I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out either. I have no idea, but... Have you been able to watch that $150 Yukikaze box set yet? No, I have not just yet. Maybe they went out of business because they released Yukikaze. Maybe. (laughs) And charged $150 for it. Yeah. I love that. A show that was previously released in America that was not successful when it came out in America the first time and was cheaper at that point, they're now re-releasing... For $150. I know we've been talking about it since basically this podcast began two some years ago, but just to catch everyone up on what the story thus far is or was, tell everyone what the sordid details of this whole Bandai visual thing was. Oh, right from the beginning, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, just explain it. Maybe if you've never heard of Bandai Visual USA before. Okay, well, we actually talked about this, I believe, in our very first episode. But, right. But <laughs> Bandai Visual USA is uh, the American branch of the Japanese company Bandai Visual... Wait, wait, wasn't that Bandai Entertainment? Haven't they been around for years? Haha, yes. This is a different company than Bandai Entertainment. Bandai Entertainment that we know, and uh, certainly love more than uh, Bandai Visual, has been around for many, many years, and has been releasing the Gundam series and things like that. Cowboy Bebop, tons of stuff. Yeah. Certainly much more reasonably priced than Bandai Visual. And then, for some reason, about, what, a year and a half ago or so... Bandai Visual USA decided to come into the market, and they decided that they knew what anime fan want. Why do we keep saying that? (laughs) (laughs) We keep saying that because that was on one of their PowerPoint slides at one of their presentations, I believe it was at Fanime. And what is hilarious about that line is that what they think that we want is anime that has been released previously in America, but this time for about three times or four times the price. 
oftentimes with uh, less things that came with the original release. What's the rationale for that? What was the rationale? It was something along the lines of that Americans need to pay what anime is worth, according to them. The Japanese definition of what anime is worth? Right. Yeah. And so what you're saying is they had a company called Bandai Entertainment that was sort of its own separate U.S. company. Precisely. Even though they released Bandai things, they weren't technically part of the Japanese Bandai. So then the Japanese Bandai came over and said, okay, we're going to release stuff too. Bandai Visual USA only releases material made by Bandai Visual. Okay, so they've released their own thing, so presumably they wouldn't even have to pay money to license anything. Yeah. yeah. The way that even Bandai Entertainment would have had Did to. they dub yeah. anything? They did, yes. Okay. They, they did do some dubs, right. Pat Labor got dubbed. What was the overall plan for having two Bandais in America? Was the idea, as my understanding would be, to phase out Bandai Entertainment eventually and then just have Bandai Visual USA? Actually, I don't really know. It sounds to me like that's the only possible reason that Bandai Visual decided to step in and say, oh no, we're going to release MS Igloo and all these things, because eventually they were hoping that enough people here would have bought into their pricing scheme and their releases, they could say, okay... Bandai Entertainment, you're now folded into Bandai Visual USA, and now there's one Bandai. Right. Well, now there is one Bandai, it just happened to go the other <laughs> way around. Yeah, the, the Bandai Entertainment ended up eating up Bandai Visual right. and not the other way around. I don't know what they were thinking. This is like a textbook example of not having a single goddamn clue what your customer is. Well, it's, it's more a textbook example of not listening to Every single person telling you advice, none of the fans said it was a good idea, none of the news outlets said it was a good idea, uh, maybe two or three crazy people on anime and DVDs forums thought it was a good idea, and they estimated some ridiculous amount of people, something to the tune of like a 100,000 fans would buy these things because they were that obsessed. What do you suppose might have made them think that there was that many obsessed people willing to shell out that kind of money for stuff that they were doing. I bet that they went to, like, American anime cons, perhaps. Went to Otakon and said, look, wow, there's yeah. 25,000 people who are crazy enough to put on a costume and go to a convention. These people are hardcore. They must want to pay $45 for 30 minutes. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because we actually see some numbers here, which is very, very rare. Apparently, they had about $3 million in total assets, and it sold 1.151 million worth of goods. In the end, they ended up losing about $600,000. So That sounds a lot better than what I thought they would do. <laughs> How did they even sell the $1.1 million? Was that all just pre-sales? Because initially, when we were first started the podcast, and they said, oh, these guys are going to release really cool versions of Pat Labor, the first two theatrical right. films. And these were actually very good releases. They were, yeah. yeah. I prefer the original manga dub to the new dub that they made, but yeah. for the people who've never seen these things before, they came with a big book that was fully translated, yeah. like the storyboards and all sorts of awesome supplemental materials. Maybe if every one of their releases had been like that, it would have been a little more palatable. All of their releases were very nice. They were just too expensive. outrageously like expensive. Most of their releases no. did not have those kind of extras. They were nice, but they didn't really have that much stuff. No, they didn't. And especially 
over time. I think one of the biggest examples, I think, was like Galaxy Angel Rune, which was it 30 or $40 for... For one episode. One episode, and it was uh, Japanese only. But let me illustrate, to go back to what Clarissa was saying about the extras not being as good on subsequent releases, the classic example I can think of is when they released Jinro. It was released on Blu-ray in limited edition only, on the Pat Labor ones, at least, they also included a standard edition without the extras if you didn't want to pay for it. Still a little pricey, but at least it was there. Jinro, it was only the $80 version, and you got the book with it, but the book, they didn't bother to translate, because it cost too much to do that. And the book is worthless to me. I mean, I, I, I could read through that Pat Labor book, like, cover to cover, because it's interesting, you know? Jinro's hmm. storyboard, it's like, eh, you leave through it once, but I can't read a single word that's in this book. Right. It's all in kanji. What good is this to me? Nothing. Daryl, since they were actually sending stuff to you, did you ever get their Oniamis release, like the Wings of Oniamis? They sent me both the Blu-ray and the HD DVD versions. I have both of them. Here's the deal. They never released it on just DVD. Yeah. Let me clarify that. They did release it on just DVD, but to get the DVD, you had to buy either the Blu-ray or the HD DVD. And presumably, if you could buy these versions, you wouldn't want to watch it on DVD in the first yeah. place. Exactly. Did you actually watch the disc? Yes, yes, okay. I did. I mean, the discs themselves, and to go back to the extras bit, Wings of Oniamis is a film that had been released in America before by Manga Video. Mm -hmm. It had some pretty decent extras, the most notable of which was a commentary track. They were awesome extras, it was just a... Terrible it was just a terrible-looking looking disc, disc yeah. and they couldn't get the rights to that commentary, so it wasn't on this version. Mm -hmm. With Jinro, I have that on DVD in a three-disc set. Bandai Entertainment released it years ago. The second disc was all supplemental materials. The third disc was a soundtrack of the movie, because the soundtrack of Jinro is actually a very nice soundtrack, plus it included a booklet. You didn't get any of those things in this new release that was more expensive. So you were paying far more money to get less stuff. And the rationale was, oh, it's in high definition. How many anime fans even own high definition sets? Only the ones that own a PlayStation 3. Pretty much. So. Everything that Bandai Visual tried to do was stuff everyone was saying is a bad idea. Everybody, every single industry panel they ever went to at any con, there was, was full always... of people standing up and yes. saying, hey, this is dumb. I'm standing Everybody. here with my arms out, just waiting to give you my money, and all you have to do is stop being stupid. And they said, no, we're not going to listen to you. Or they do the Japanese style, yes, yes, we know, we know, and then ignore you. It was not like they didn't know this. That's the point. I'm actually amazed that they lasted as long as they did, even though they probably lasted the least amount of time that any anime company that I can think of has yeah. lasted. Well, any notable one. I mean, these guys had distribution such that their products were initially being carried in the Best Buys and that sort of thing. And then that fell through. And then they said, you know what? We're just going to sell things just on the website. That's a good idea. Yeah, Genion was originally releasing their stuff. And then Genion kind of fell out, I believe. And then the Image Entertainment. And then nobody wanted to touch these poison DVDs that were $60, $70. I know, because if you go to a store and you see one movie for $60 and you see an entire season of a TV show for the same amount, I mean, sure, they're different markets, but it's an idea of how much money I got in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Besides which, all the things that they were releasing weren't really super popular things. They were Not all, all things that were kind of known to otaku such as ourselves, but... Who is going to pay $80 to buy a film they've never seen before? 
I guess I've got the uh, Pat Labor 1 and 2 Deluxe DVDs, but I'm a pretty hardcore Pat Labor fan. And Pat Labor was not a big series in America. They yeah. lost a lot of money releasing Pat Labor. I mean, Yuki Kaze. Who the hell will buy Yuki Kaze for $150? I didn't see any fans yeah. of that the first time around. I know people who liked the show, but... Yeah, I don't know that that many people are going to pay that much money. Yuki Kaze is another Macross Zero to me. Great action scenes and that sort of thing. I like the planes and the stories and characters and just terrible. Yeah. We could go on forever about this whole Bandai visual thing, and we encourage people to listen to our previous news segments in shows from years past. No, we don't, actually, because those are <laughs> awful sounding. But I, I think they're awesome. <laughs> This is kind of an interesting thing for us because it's kind of full circle since like one of our very first news stories was Bandai Visual is thinking of starting up. And how we were looking forward to it. Yeah, we were really looking forward to this. But we also said, and I believe we did say it in our very first episode, that no one can screw things up like the Japanese. Mm -hmm. And Quo they screwed it up. Demonstratum. Yep. So, goodbye Bandai Visual and good riddance. Well, they're not the only ones who are... Uh being a little restructured, aren't they? That's true, and it seems like Tokyo Pop is uh, going to restructure things. And what does that mean exactly? Well, according to them, that means they are going to be splitting into uh, two parts, one of which is going to be handling their uh, new media and digital aspects of the business, as well as the comics to film. And I guess the other side is just going to be handling their publishing, but that's not all. They're also going to be scaling back significantly their publishing. According to the ANN article, they're going from publishing 470 volumes a year to 225 to 240. So seriously, they were publishing 470 things a year, or individual volumes of things a year? According to them. That is 470 things I did not buy. I mean, seriously, and the article also mentions that they laid off about 39 people. This is a pretty big deal, because Tokyo Pop only employed about 100 people in the first place. Yeah. And it's not even to say anything about all the freelancers and stuff who aren't going to get work anymore as a result of the scaling backs and all that stuff. This is a pretty major thing, in my opinion, because it was years ago that Tokyo Pop inadvertently kind of brought about the big manga boom in America with the decision to cut costs by releasing things on Flipped and training fans on the notion that, hey, read the books from right to left. Which was a great idea, and it, it made manga accessible to everybody, and it was a terrific idea. Because, yeah, it allowed them to, instead of charging the $18 or whatever it was for the graphic novels, you could charge $10 and you could release them every other month or every three months. Yeah, Instead of once a year, like Viz does or something. So Originally, when manga was being released in America, they'd release individual chapters in the traditional comic book 32-page sort of format. And then after they got about six to eight or however many, they'd release them as trade paperback, very much like how American comic books do. And it took forever. Yeah, they actually had like a, a schedule for Shadowstar when that was still being released, and that was very literally one book a year. So what do you suppose led to Tokyo Pop? Because... They did this first, and for several years, they were the big manga publisher in America. What happened? If I were to just throw out a guess, in just total blind guessing, I think it might have something to do with the fact that they licensed so many things yeah. that... Flooding the market. 
Yeah, 470 well, things. They had licensed so many things, and I mean, how many of those things were really big hits for them? Fruits Basket. Fruits Basket was a major hit for them. I bet the clam stuff initially, when they still had it, was a major right. hit, but they lost that all to Del Rey. What about Princess I and the OEL Revolution, man? I actually have no idea. Like, apparently Princess I is a big success for them. But I don't know that that many of the OEL things are that successful... I know that I've seen a few people who've said that people who work at bookstores saying they always ship a ton of that stuff back and it's not moving. Oh, really? But I don't know if that's consistent. I mean, that may just be a few stores. Hmm. It's hard to tell. Right. And I also wonder how well their Korean stuff is doing. Yeah, the only thing that I bought from the Korean stuff was Priest, and I still like Priest a lot. Well, it seems like most of the Korean stuff they're putting out is not very good. There's nothing wrong with the Korean stuff in general, but they're lumping it in with the Japanese stuff to begin with, and they're not differentiating it. And from what I've seen, a lot of it doesn't seem very good. Tokyo Pop has always been notorious as being one of the people we complain about right. for trying to do that sort of thing, trying to say, oh, it's all manga. this yeah. big eyes, small mouth, we'll call it manga even if it's Korean or Chinese or American-made or whatever. Yeah. We always complain about that in previous shows, but it leads to the greater issue here, which is I think what did Tokyo pop in was two main factors. Factor number one was they just flooded the market with substandard product. They were the worst at it, I believe. Absolutely. And in doing this, kind of sabotaged things because everything had to be coming out faster, faster, faster. The demands on translators were getting much more unreasonable, paying people less money, settling for lower quality translations for the sake of releasing hundreds and hundreds of volumes of stuff mm -hmm. every year that wasn't even that good to begin with, marred by lesser quality translations. People eventually said, you know what, screw it. Factor number two, eventually, you I mean, you mentioned this earlier, Gerald, you said for a while they had the clamp stuff. Mm-hmm. As the other yeah. manga publishers and some of the Japanese said, hey, we can make money selling manga too, and we can do a better job at it, as Viz partnered up with Shueisha more officially as mm -hmm. far as releasing things like Shonen Jump is concerned, Del Rey and Kodansha, etc. These big publishing firms in Japan that had the licenses to the big popular shows like Naruto, One Piece, Dragon Ball, all that stuff, suddenly Tokyo Pop didn't have as big a pool of things to choose from as far as sure hits are concerned. And they were left wondering, well, what the heck are we going to release now? Because all the rights to all the other stuff are kind of like, it by default, the Shonen Jump stuff is going to Viz. I think what they were going to do then was try to emphasize their own properties, the things right. that they would make that nobody could then buy off of them, like Princess I and, you know, the rising stars of manga and DramaCon and such. But uh, as we've also heard... My phone is ringing. Um, hold on a second, guys. That's getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> she requested that ring, I swear. Now, where was I? Oh, as we've found out, the people that created those titles weren't really getting the support that they needed. No, the, the contracts were just terrible as far as not really paying people very much money and making them do an unreasonable amount of work in exchange for that very little money. Do you see any parallels with the anime industry as far as this stuff is concerned? How so? Well, I remember maybe about five years ago, I recall as far as DVDs being released of anime, they were just flooding the market with substandard stuff and not really doing as much QC quality control 
on the releases as they normally would. Oh, like when ADV was? Yeah, that, they yeah. were definitely one of them, guilty parties for that. And they found that, oh, wow, they flooded the market, and now people don't want to buy all this stuff, most of which isn't very good to begin with. And nowadays, anime DVDs are severely scaled back from what they used to be a few years ago. And there's a couple of reasons for that, but that's one of the reasons. Of course, the real reason, of course, to, to you know to save the company. But I do think that they really, really want to push their Princess I things and such because they did have a lot of plans for Princess I. Well, you think that might be part of the new media thing and the comics to film? You think they want to try and sell the rights to these comics and make a movie? Because the big mm-hmm. hot trend now is, hey, comic book, make a movie out of it. Or all yep. Ravidactyl style. <laughs> all wanted style as well. Or Anyway, we've got another couple of stories, some of them tangentially related. Super Techno Arts, no longer offering JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the anime, in the USA. Well, they weren't anyway, because they uh, went under. They, yeah. Basically, nobody for those bought of you JoJo's, who don't... woo! Well, nobody could have bought JoJo's even if they tried. I'm still amazed that I have it all. I still actually don't have the last couple discs. I'm going to order them soon. Because I think Right Stuff has them, but... I have the distinct feeling that people probably don't even know who Super Techno Arts is. Well, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah, Super Techno Arts was an anime company that was formed basically... What Japanese company were they? They, they were APPP, were, I believe. Yes, another Pushpin production. Production, yeah. Much like how Urban Vision in America is a small house for publishing that kind of just exists to release madhouse properties and they don't really do much else. Super Techno Arts was sort of this U.S. branch of things that were made by APPP, namely JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and they've done several other things too. Uh, One of the reasons we were interested in them is because they also would have had the rights by default to Robot Carnival, which we reviewed in a previous episode. Yeah, Sci-Fi Harry, I believe, was another one of the things they were looking at. Yeah, that was actually a pretty decent show. I mean, I'd seen a few episodes of it, and I believe it's getting fans of kind of an old show very dated back to like the early days of digital animations there's lots and lots of digital panning that i kind of hate so much but the story was actually pretty interesting yeah from the first episode it was basically about this kid who had a telekinetic powers and as a result of him using his telekinetic power something horrible would happen so he'd be like oh i can bend a spoon and then somewhere halfway across town somebody would find themselves completely eviscerated The reason why JoJo's is no longer being offered is a tangential issue as well, but, I mean, the big problem with them is that they just had some of the worst distribution. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could not find their stuff anywhere. Not even online. Anime stores, yeah. Not even online, yeah. That company, I think, was run by, like, two people and out of one lady's apartment, and then that lady, I think she went to work for some other company. I think it was Cindy Yamauchi. Cindy Yamaguchi, right. I think maybe she went to work in Japan, actually. She was an animator on, like, a... Gungrave? Yeah, Gungrave, Gungrave, that's it. Yeah, she was an animator on that. So she was going back and forth, like, running this little company that nobody bought DVDs from, and then managing that, so... But their, their releases were actually quite good, if you could yeah. find them. I commend them for doing pretty decent work, yeah. for the most part. The JoJo's discs, I mean, I'm sure if you go on anime on DVD, people will complain that the quality of the box paper isn't thick enough, but the actual discs and translation... Mm-hmm. To me, we're fine. Yeah. And so I'm kind of, you know, sad that to see them go. But at the same time, yeah, they had no distribution. You good luck finding their stuff. Yeah. yeah. Even in dealers rooms and anime cons, people half the time didn't even know what you were talking right. about. Yeah. I mean, how many people listening to this podcast have never heard of Super Techno Arts? Related to the subject of JoJo's, there's kind of a dicey issue that's just recently happened, and this is infuriating. Yeah. Apparently, 
The JoJo's anime and manga sales have been halted due to complaints by an Islamic religious group. And this is due to the depiction of was the it, Quran. Was it in... the manga as well? Because the thing is, in the manga, there wasn't the same issue. Right. The manga was also halted as well. Basically, let me yeah. set this up. Uh, the villain in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, there's a, a scene... <laughs> Yeah. Where he's reading from a book, and in the manga, they're it's just... They're in Egypt, so... Yeah, they're in Egypt, that's where the, the villain is, and he just opens up a book really quick and puts it down, and that's it. In the manga, it's just a, a nondescript book, it just has whatever lines. When they made yeah. the scene animated... Specifically, the issue is that he is open, he's looking at this book during a scene in which he is vowing to kill a lot of people. In any case, in the anime, when they did this, they replaced it with random arabic you've seen this before right. in anime when they like to have english like yeah. you can just open up the first episode of macross frontier yeah. and see that they've got <laughs> the oakley shades right. ad copy or something that's supposed in, to be like, computer a readout wing episode they used some yeah yeah photoshop yeah yeah garaga had like an advertisement for cars yeah they just take for... some random text and it's a dumb thing to yeah. do but usually, it doesn't get you in trouble. Unfortunately... Right, in the Japanese, they just say, oh, it's just some text yeah. in the background. In this case, they took random Arabic and put it in as the page he was reading in this Whoops. book. It turns out the page of random Arabic they took was a page from the Quran. Yeah. A grave insult I'm trying to remember which it's... page it was, too, because I think the actual page that was actually ended up being significant as well. Looking at it here, I... I think part of it is yeah, just... Yeah, I don't think it says... A non-Muslim depicted the Quran in what they perceived to be an unfavorable light. But what makes me so mad about this is the way they found out. They found out about this by watching pirated anime off of the equivalent of a YouTube or Crunchyroll sort of site... And so internet users saw it and complained based on that. And because the pirates who didn't buy anything, who can't even, you know, affect the Japanese economy or anywhere anyway, because they complained on the internet, they've ceased the sales of JoJo's right. entirely. Even the manga that didn't do anything. Yeah. This uh, strikes me as incredibly terrible. And one of the things I was reading a story that broke this, I believe it was in Reuters or something to that effect. Do you know where? I think it was Bloomberg. Okay, well, um, I've got a, a site here. One of the sites, this story was carried in a bunch of various places, but uh, Japan Today had a link in English and said, okay, the publisher is going to suspend these sales after the Muslims said that it insults Islam. There was a sheikh who was a chairman of a, a fatwa, a religious edict from Egypt. He said, oh, this cartoon's an insult. And he says, quote, this scene depicts Muslims as terrorists, which is not true at all, he said. This is an insult to the religion, and the producers would be considered to be enemies of Islam. I have a bunch of problems with this quote, because... Yeah, well, Dio's not even a Muslim to begin with. He's right. a vampire. The character who's reading this is a vampire from Britain who is not a Muslim at all. And so that statement alone is mischaracterizing things. The nature of the quote that says, this is an insult to the religion, and the producers would be considered to be enemies of Islam. What exactly does that imply, given that before he said, it's not true that all Muslims are terrorists, but you're enemies of Islam. That sounds like a blatant threat to me. That's kind of, yeah, going back and exactly what you're saying in one breath, so... I don't know that 
that that necessarily implies we're going to murder you. I mean, I think... What else does it imply if you're declaring someone enemies of Islam and you're, like, a very high-ranking... It could just mean that, you know, they're going to say, like, hey, nobody who's a Muslim should buy any of your stuff. That's different than saying you're an enemy of God. Usually most, like regardless of religion, I'm not even singling out Islam here, but if you declare someone to be an enemy of God, that generally means they should be eliminated. But another part of this quote from the article, it says, all right, the cartoon series' pirated version with Arabic subtitles has been distributed on websites since March 2007. So that's a, we're talking a full year now. After a viewer posted negative comments, and the still scene, it sparked off more protests. Eventually, responses were carried on more than 300 Arab and Islamic web forums, with some accusing Japan of insulting the Quran. The whole thing... Seems like a heavy, heavy overreaction. It is a heavy overreaction, and it's not a surprise to me that religious zealots heavily overreacted to nothing. What I'm angry at is the fact that they acquiesced to their crazy demand. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of annoying, too. And I mean, it's it's also funny in that there's so much Christian imagery that... that no one has any problems with, at least that, that I know of. I mean, where is Pat Robertson going really mad over the part in Wicked City? I think where... most of them just, that's not even on their radar. Like, they don't even pay attention to it. Like, it's probably not big enough. Like, Harry Potter, they're gonna bitch about Harry Potter because Harry Potter is gigantic. Anime is probably not a big enough deal. I mean, I've seen a few websites here and there with Christian anime reviews and stuff where they'll say, like, this is horribly unchristian or it's insulting to the faith and you shouldn't let your children watch it. But I think there's probably just not any large-scale protests because they just have so much other stuff that they're too busy being angry about. Yeah, I always got the impression that there were just people who did nothing all day but sit around and watch movies and find things that they could write home yeah, about. Yeah, I or... think they're called the Parents' Television Council or something. Yeah, the only place that ever has the guts to ever call out the Parents' Television Council is the IMDB news page, <laughs> where whenever they describe the Parents' Television Council, they always append a comment that says, which is responsible for 99% of all complaints about television m- movies ever filed, ever. Yep. We should send them a copy of Ninja Resurrection. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so they'd love that see scene where Virgin Mary crying blood, <laughs> and, and the, the father is raping church. his daughter with his disembodied uh, finger yep. in the church. I think for they the would sake love of becoming that. Satan. Yeah, yeah. Fun yeah. for the whole family. They would love that. Yeah. Oh well, would they love it more or less than the implication that the Quran is going to turn your children into power-hungry vampires? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, I guess on to continuously less important news as we move down the chain. It seems like ADV actually still exists, at least in terms of their manga division. This is important to me, I guess, because they are actually still going to be releasing new volumes of Yotsuba and Cromarty. Well, that's good to know, because I think it was either in this podcast or episode of Snack Time Online, I was just saying, it's gone, it's shut down. Because I hadn't heard anything for ages, I just assumed, alright, it yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, apparently, like, the last thing that was actually released was a volume of Yotsuba in October. Yeah, they put out one more volume, and it was like, oh, good, everyone was really excited, and then nothing again. That was another case of a manga publisher that released tons and tons and tons of right. titles. I need to correct you. They, they didn't release tons. They licensed. They licensed tons. Tons and tons. And Not then they started releasing this, releasing. and that was like just before the bomb. Yeah. Okay. Then they realized, oh shit, we can't actually sell 90% of this stuff. 
Yeah, now that government crime investigation was on the scene, they were like, shit. <laughs> oh, different one. All right. And as a side note, this was actually said by Chris Orr. So, hey. Well, and I mean, it's got to be rough, too, for manga, just because so much of the big titles are being hoarded. I mean, Viz, because of their subsidiary of, what is it, Shogakukan? They get yes. all the Shonen Jump stuff. That's a lot of the major sellers. Same both the Tokyo Pop was We there. mentioned Del Rey has all the Clamp stuff pretty much locked up. I know Dark Horse has the upcoming mm-hmm. original thing. And ADV might still have Kobato because that was running in New Type. I don't know what's going to go on with that. I remember hearing in their case that a lot of their manga plans were when they licensed anime shows, they'd release the manga tie-in. Right. Mm-hmm. as well, which is why there was the Full Metal Panic manga right. and the Cromarty manga and so on and so forth. But yeah, right. I mean, so many of those big heavy-hitting titles are locked up. As far as I can understand, there's not even an option for a company like Tokyo Pop or ADV to go and make a bid for that title. It's just, nope, it's going to Viz, or nope, it's going to... Yep. The worst part is that then you get to bid on the stuff that nobody else wants. Right. And then you just kind of get the scrap. Maybe it'll sell some, but probably not very much. Yeah, there were a lot of titles I know that ADV released in their manga line that they never finished. Right. And there were people who were actually like really into that, and it, yeah. nothing is more infuriating when you're buying a manga or an anime series, and, and then stops. they stop it. Yeah. Nothing is more infuriating. Yeah, I think the only other thing about the manga situation, I mean, in general, it's not going to hurt the companies or I think the industry for them to trim down on a lot of these licenses, because, yeah, a lot of them are not really that great, and maybe there are a few people that are following some of these, and that's going to suck for them if something they like cuts off in the middle. But honestly, most of these releases are not going to be a big deal. The only thing I'm kind of worried about is if the companies feel the need to cut down based on what's selling and only keep doing what's selling... We already don't get a lot of really good books or classics or whatever that don't sell very well. And if they're having financial difficulties and sales are slumping and they feel the need to cut back to high-performing titles... Just the guaranteed things. Yeah, we might not lose just the crappy throwaway titles that are bogging down the industry. We might lose those older titles or those things that are maybe critically well-received, mm-hmm. but that don't really sell very well. Right, the prestige, sort of Viz signature kind yeah. of titles yeah. that constitute most of what I purchased right. that no one else really buys. I mean, Viz might be okay for that, because they do have like the Shonen Jump stuff and a lot of the big Shoujo titles now because of Shoujo Beat and everything. I presume Vertical is doing well enough that they seem to be still in business and putting things out. I think Vertical has the advantage that they don't operate like a manga company. Right. Even if you go to the anime convention, it's not like anybody at all is reading the vertical stuff or even right. selling it in their dealer's room. And the same thing yeah. like Dark Horse has an advantage because they're not just dependent on manga business. They have all their U.S. Mm-hmm. comic stuff. They have all the comic stuff, stuff well. and the deals for movies like the Sin Cities and right, the 300s right. and all that. Yeah. They say they're a comic book publisher first and then more. Right. So we might be okay on some of those older titles and the boutique titles, but still. In that vein, this isn't so much news as it is just a very, very interesting post. And this is by Ed Chavez, who does the manga cast. He has this very interesting post that Clarissa pointed out to me. Thank you, Clarissa. Mm-hmm. It was, you don't want your manga on this list, 2008 oh, version. Right, this right. is 
a list of every single cancelled manga title that's ever been released in America. And it shows you the name of it, who published it, how many volumes were released, and how many volumes exist. And some of these are crazy. There are some titles that I didn't realize had stopped coming out even on that list. And I was like, yeah. holy crap. Gerald, you were reading Canon Got Exaxion, right? Which is on that list? Yes, Exaxion, and I actually reviewed it because I thought it was finished, and then I got to the end of that volume and it wasn't, and then I was waiting for more of it, and then that got cancelled, and I'm really upset. That was at AWA last year that they actually mentioned that, right? But it happened before that. What sort of titles are on that list that maybe people who listen to this show might be concerned with? Uh, Let me go through and see. Well, Carmarty is on there, but Carmarty, I guess, doesn't count. There were 12 volumes released. There's 17 volumes that exist. A lot of these titles I haven't heard of, but you put me in a place there by saying that people that listen to this show Well, when I say people that listen to this show, I mean, what would we care about? That makes it even harder. Uh, Let's see. um, CPM Press stuff, virtually all of which is canceled. Stuff like Hard Boiled Angel, three volumes released, four volumes exist. Some of these are very interesting. There's this one here called Otogi Matsuri. I don't know what it is. Zero volumes were released. Eleven volumes exist. So it was cancelled before it even got out. Another one, one called Geobreeders. Two volumes were released. Thirteen plus volumes exist. Yeah, that's another CPM title because they did release the anime for that. Yeah. Dark Horse. The tough part with Dark Horse is that you never know it's cancelled until it just stops coming out. Right, like Satsuma Gishiden uh, just stopped coming out. Yeah, Satsuma Gishiden here. Three volumes came out, five volumes I exist. I thought it was six uh, volumes existing, but okay. You're Under Arrest. Two volumes came out, seven volumes exist. Chrono War, which I read a little bit of and I kind of liked. Three by Three Eyes. Eight volumes came out, 40 volumes yeah, exist. Yeah, that series yeah. ran forever. That's sad, too, because I remember really liking the anime for 3x3 Eyes and wanting to check out the manga. All the manga fans I knew were infuriated by that anime adaptation because the manga was so much better. That's all I ever kept hearing. Yeah. Shadow Star, 12 volumes exist, 7 volumes were released. The list goes on and on. Some of these are just nuts, like Crayon Shin-chan. I think that might have been picked up. But oh, here yeah, it's that's a 10 CMX volumes came out now. 10 volumes came out, 46 plus volumes exist. Wow, so that's cancelled? I forgot that was on well, the list. Well, CMX is releasing it's... it right now. And oh, no, it was no, initially no. being released by Comics 1, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that actually got picked up again. And oh, CMX okay, that's the Comics doing the 1. Shinchan release yeah. now. Drama Queen. The interesting thing with Drama Queen is that there's a ton of things here that never even got one volume released. Again, I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with Drama Queen because apparently they were having some issues because I know I pre-ordered a whole bunch of stuff from them. Mm -hmm. I have heard that some of that stuff should be coming out, so I don't know if some of it is cancelled and some of it will be or if it's not actually cancelled and they were just having some problems. Maybe what happened with Drama Queen was that they posted on their live journal saying, if I don't get a thousand friends, then I'm (laughs) shutting down this manga publishing. And you're like, you're such a drama queen. And it's like, yes, I am. Just go ahead and do it. See if we care. No. Oh. And other titles, Media Blasters, everything is gone from them. I like missed Apocalypse, Apocalypse Zero. Zero. 11, such... 11 volumes exist, 6 volumes are released. Twin Signal, 19 volumes exist, 1 volume was released. Viz Media, some of this stuff goes back a very long way. And a lot of the stuff I really like. Area 88. Area 88, 3 volumes released, 23 volumes exist. 3 volumes were released? Whoa, 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 back up. 3 volumes were released. I thought 1 volume was released. Of Area 3 volumes were released, apparently. This goes back well, he, maybe all the way. Here's maybe how I think so. I can see them rationalizing that. My understanding of how Area 88, the manga release, was in America was after the initial monthly or bi-monthly or whatever, like the comic book format, 32-page releases, after those stopped... They'd released one graphic novel, and then they continued it in Ann America. And there's a lot of the individual comics that were never compiled into trade paperback graphic novel That's format. That's probably what they're talking about. And Ann America 
the issues that ran in Ann America. If you don't have that issue in America, you don't have that chapter. And then they had their other anthology as well. I forgot the name of that. It was also oh. called Anamer just like Anamerica Extra. That was oh, Anamerica Extra, yeah. Biobooster Armor Giver. Seven volumes came out. 27 plus volumes released. Things that I didn't even know, like Get a Robo Go. Zero volumes came out. Seven volumes released. This one annoyed me because I bought this. The manga for Pat Labor. Two volumes came out, and I have both of those. 22 volumes exist. Voyeurs, 11 volumes exist. Three volumes of Voyeurs came out. Tough. Six volumes came out. 42 yeah, volumes huge, exist. God, awesome, that is that crazy long? comp. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's yes. astonishing. It's for all the people who love Rikio and Dog Soldier. <laughs> tough is like the natural evolution thereof. It's kind of rough because there's so many of these things that I actually have picked up that you don't realize how long some of these things are. I didn't know that there were that many volumes of Pat Labor. I knew that there were more. I didn't know exactly how many. Yeah. Guess on to some different news then. This is from the uh, Bandai Entertainment panel at Anime Central. This is interesting because the prevailing theme seemed to be episode counts on DVDs. So they all saw what happened to Bandai Vision and were like, can't let that happen. Yeah, to give you an idea, Toward the Terra, the anime, the first volume of that is going to come with eight episodes. This show that I don't know anything about. Rocket Girls is going to come uh, shows, all 13 episodes. That show's terrible. One, I one want thing. to say that Rocket Girls is sort of... <laughs> Moe? Well, it is, but I mean, I, I'm not sure if that Yukikaze spinoff with the Mave-chan or whatever was somehow responsible for <laughs> germinating the seeds of Rocket Girls to be made or not, but yeah, it's... I have no idea. Pretty terrifying. Is Mave-chan kind of like Komugi in that Komugi was much more entertaining than Soul. No, it's just bad in or a different way. <laughs> okay. Grin Logan will have three nine-episode sub-only releases. However, we have found out that apparently what I've heard is that those initial releases are going to be pretty bare-bones. Yeah. And that the later release with the dub is going to have actual extras and things right. like that. It's kind of like they're sort of meeting up halfway with the Media Blasters Tekaman Blade-style release. And then they're doing something kind of similar with Geass, where they're doing nine-episode double-disc or whatever sets. On with the subject of Grand Lagan, Grand Lagan, however it's pronounced, I don't care, but uh, it's getting aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. I didn't even know Sci-Fi Channel was still running anime. I didn't know either, but according to their site, they ran a bunch of stuff. Oh. Yeah, they recently had started running a few more things, mainly through manga. I don't know manga, anybody that was watching it. Like the manga video type stuff, because I know mm. they'd run Karis and I think maybe Highlander and a few other like things to that effect, if memory serves. I know a lot of people that got into anime... Through the Saturday the Sci-Fi Channel. Even me, I mean, when yeah. I said in the first episode, that was how I first saw Robotech, when they originally mm. ran it as part of Sci-Fi Cartoon Quest back in 1993 or 1992 or thereabouts. On the other hand, that was also when people actually watched the Sci-Fi Channel. Right, back when the Sci-Fi so. Channel would run things like Captain Scarlet or Stingray, <laughs> followed by like the new adventures of Gigantor. And, now you know, they just have like, yeah. Doctor Who and stuff, and everything else yeah. is terrible terrible original movies. Yeah, apparently that's going to be on TV, and that's pretty much what it should be. This is something that is relevant to me, I guess, because I was buying the show and I was afraid that I wouldn't get to see the rest of it, but on August 19th, they're going to be releasing the entire second half of Gal Gygar. One set. Subtitle only, 35 bucks. Which is a really good deal, because yes. if you go back and listen to Clarissa's review of Gal Gygar, 
from several, several, several shows back. <laughs> she mentioned that once the second half of Gal Gaga started was when they retooled the show to cater more to the crazy otaku mecha fan, super robot type people like us. $35 for 25 some episodes of a really some of the awesome best, stuff. Best like, I mean, stuff, people yeah. rate Gal Gaga very highly and deservedly so, at least for that second half. Even if you've never seen Gal Gaga, hey, what the heck? It's $35 for 26 episodes. That's dirt cheap. Yeah. It's rough because it's one of those shows that when you finish watching the show, you forget how kind of mediocre the first half of it was because the second half of it is so incredibly good. Right. And, 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 but there is some recap at the beginning of that second season that it catches you up to speed. Like if you never saw those other episodes before, it's like, Hey kids, mm-hmm. there's this like is an what episode happened. or two that's kind of designed so that you don't have to watch the first half. But, See, I, yeah. I would say that's definitely a, a must-buy kind of release, mm-hmm. very much like how the Tekkenman Blade sort of things were. And since Galgagar did so badly in America, those initial releases, I would assume that this might be something that goes out of print kind of quick. Right. To answer the yeah. question that we had in the emails earlier about how can you tell if something's going to be in print for a very long time. I would say to make efforts to get this one as soon as you could. Right. Yeah, they dropped the dub on this and everything. They tried very hard, I understand, to get this on TV, but nobody wants to run giant robot shows. Just as a note, speaking of robot shows and small releases and stuff, the uh, first Golion set just came out recently. I got mine. The Japanese version of Voltron, the original uncut. Of Lion Voltron, yes. I haven't finished watching all of it, all of that first box yet. I've only watched, like, the first disc. It's out. You can get it. There were some miracles made in that editing room, let me tell you. There were. I I haven't (laughs) gotten that far in, but I can already definitely see a lot of stuff that they had to edit around. I mean, it's not, like, Fist of the North Star or anything in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, being violent or whatever. I mean, definitely compared to what was allowable on American television. In the early 1980s or the mid-1980s. Right. Yeah. The age of G.I. Joe and all the planes exploding and all the, right, you have to have someone right. parachute out safely. Yeah. You have to remove every single reference to death in a show that is all about incredible carnage and mayhem where like in the yeah. third episode they go to Earth and find out that everybody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terrible. Like, it's the shittiest thing ever. The pilot's are away from Earth, and then they come back and they discover all those bastards. They blew it up! Wow. Planet of the Apes style. <laughs> Apparently, Earth went to war while they were out fucking around in space. And then they come back and everything's been nuked to shit, Fist of the North Star style. And then they immediately get captured by an alien slave ship. Right. And Paul Chapman's favorite edit of all was the fact that in the American version of Voltron, they'd always pan back to these shots of the Galaxy Alliance of these, you yeah. know, old admirals sitting oh, around yes. the table <laughs> discussing, <laughs> like, how to explain why Voltron's going around to different places. And of course, in the very first episode, these people are all killed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah check that out, I say. Yeah. Also a very cheap release. Yeah. I mean, early yeah. in the series, like, the pilots are enslaved in the evil empire. They're made to battle against what they called the Robeasts in the English version for Voltron. And there's a, a scene where they show the monsters basically eating stew made out of the slaves that didn't do so well wow. in the uh, arena. Yeah, definitely stuff that they had to cut out. <laughs> yeah, super brutal Also, show. Voltron squashes a lot of people by stepping on them in one episode. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking for my box set. It's on its way. 
And uh, probably I should note, by the time this episode comes out, chances are high that we will be in the midst of the deep discount 20% off sale. It doesn't apply to pre-orders, but you can definitely get Voltron for that 20% off. I know people who just spend like their yearly savings during those times. It's yeah. it's insane. I need to try not to go there and buy things because I've been buying too much crap lately. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. the same way. I'm I keep probably just going to lose my mind. Impulse purchases off of eBay and then write stuff with their constant sales. Is impulse purchases me. are doing me in so bad because once things get priced to the range where it's like seven dollars or like yeah. if, I like I lose my mind. Today, in the mail, I got HD, The Mummy, The Mummy <laughs> Returns, The Scorpion yeah. King. Like, I gotta have them. They're like $6 because they're in, yeah. in high definition. It's like, I yeah, do, yeah. I do the same thing. And like, like I said, Right Stuff has been killing me with these sales. They should thank me for all the business I've been giving them because it's like... You should set up like every, an affiliates thing with Right Stuff. Week, I know, Allison you know, they have like 40% off everything from Funimation. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll buy that One Piece first set. That series is going to be like 500 episodes long. I'm never going to buy that whole series, even though I like One Piece. But yeah, yeah, I'll buy that, whatever. At least you haven't reached the point where it's like, oh boy, Van Helsing for $6. <laughs> Sign me up. Like, Steven hey, Summers, you genius. This is $400 that's, that's worth over of the hill, stuff. Then. And I'm only paying $200. Awesome. Uh. I keep getting these gigantic boxes of things that I'm buying. And then, yeah, eBay, I'm like... Oh, whatever, that's only $20. Sure. Yeah, well, when you get to the under $10 range, I just go insane. I'm just yeah. like, it's $6 worth of enjoyment, whatever. Oh, under $10 especially. And for the record, as I'm about to release this episode, it is now one day into the deep discount 20% off sale. Also, Right Stuff picked the best possible time to have a $5 sale for the Genion DVDs. Some of them are 10 some are 15 but most of them are $5. What we're trying to say is after that whole discussion, I think Clarissa spent about $400 and Gerald spent probably a little more than that. And I am being conservative so far in the roughly $200 range, but there's still many more days of the sale to go. So we aren't kidding around when we say that sort of thing. But anyway, we should probably slowly start to finish this news up. <laughs> this this news that is now us just rambling about things? This, I admit, is going very far out of our normal anime-only news coverage, but it's potentially too awesome for me to not mention it. I apologize to all those people who hate video games, but Capcom has been releasing these video games called, like, just the Versus series for quite a long oh, time. Yeah. For like X-Men versus Street Fighter, or Marvel Super Heroes versus Street Fighter. Versus Capcom. Marvel versus Marvel Capcom. Versus Capcom. Yep. Capcom versus SNK, all that stuff. This one that they're releasing is... I'm excited about this. Particularly important because it's Capcom versus Tatsunoko. Yay! Tatsunoko, the animation studio that's been around for yes. like 40 years now. Well, we're all really waiting to see what the full roster is going to be because they've only announced a couple things. Like, they've announced Gachaman. Specifically, yeah. we've yeah. only seen Ken the Eagle. And they've announced Kasharn. I'm pretty sure Yataman is in that as well. They haven't announced Yataman, but in the promo images that were posted on Famitsu, the fights that they were demonstrating, there's two stages that the fights take place in. One of them is a Mega Man Legends stage, and the other one is a Yataman stage. So if there's a stage, then theoretically that means there's probably going to be a character. Yataman 1 and 2. 
And so we're also going to see on the Capcom slide Chun Li, Ryu, right. and most likely Mega Man. And if Reed, you actually, if anyone's listening keep here that knows Morgan sprite exactly the same as they've kept it for the last twenty years. Yeah, this is actually going to be done the same way that Street Fighter Four is going to be. Done. Oh wow! It's like so, it's, 2, so it is all 2. new 2. artwork. Two point five D. What do they call it? Well, it'd be a no-brainer to put Karis in there since that was their big project for the fortieth right. anniversary. And he's... I'm wondering if they're going to put Speed Racer in there. Like you just run people over with the Mach Five. <laughs> Speed Racer oh, be should awesome. be in there. He should. Think he should. It's important. Yeah. Other licenses that they've got. Tatsunoko owns the rights to Maspita. Yeah. And they also own Captain Tyler, which would be ridiculous if Captain Tyler were in a fighting game. His command input should be not having him actually fight and just, just weird random things chaos yeah. things start to happen for seemingly no reason. You, you dodge people's attacks plan. by like tripping over things <laughs> and I just want to believe that, like, the super move is that he puts on a helmet, gets out, like, a mallet, and then hits someone and they light on fire. <laughs> just, like, like in the show. So VCR blows up. Yeah. The other attack is the Soyokaze just crashes and burns and doesn't hit the enemy. Yeah. And then somebody off camera wants to commit seppuku because Tyler is so dumb. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, we were discussing, Gerald, that probably Hurricane Polymer will be Yeah, in Hurricane there. Polymer, I think, is definitely going to be in there. That's another old Tatsunoko show. I'd imagine they'll announce at least a couple more of the Gachaman team, if not all of them. They'll probably at least announce maybe Jun and Joe. Yeah. As you can see, there's a lot of speculation going on around this game. And for anime fans like us, this is going to potentially be very cool because yeah. Capcom can make some of the better fighting games. As long as they don't have Playmore make it. Oh, yeah. It's so depressing reading about this game on video game things, though, because people are like, what's Tatsunoko? And they don't know what any of this is. I've heard so many people, like, when they mention, oh, Kasharin, and all they know of is that live-action movie, and they're like, that movie was terrible. This sucks. That was the worst thing Kasharin ever made. All I'd hope so. is that we get Crystal Triangle in there. Yeah. <laughs> Kamishiro... <laughs> He's got the secret, and he can probably be the end boss. Only if Rasputin's so. grandson is in it, too. Yeah, I, he's definitely important, too. His special move is, yeah, just... A bazooka out of nowhere. The Pizza Cats, they gotta be in there, too, man. Yeah, Samurai Pizza oh, Cats man. is another one. That would be amazing. That would... Isn't that coming out on DVD? I heard it is, yeah. It's coming out very soon, if not out already. Nice. And this leads to another discussion in that, as cool as this game sounds, and as excited as as the anime fans like us are, this game will almost never come out in America yeah, licensing because... licensing is going to be hell. Licensing, yeah. yeah. And as it is with the Super Robot Wars series, another game series has just got tons of different things and licenses. This one, even though it's all from one company, the Samurai Pizza Cat is owned by one company in America. Gotcha Man is owned by another company in right. America. Captain Tyler is owned by Right Stuff. And so on and so forth. I mean, so on and so forth. So it's very unlikely that we'll ever see this in America. However, unlike Super Robot Wars, you don't have to know a whole lot of Japanese to import a fighting game. No. But yeah, as you can see, we're we're looking forward to that. It's not anime related, but it's super cool anyway. I'm excited to watch people play this game and maybe play it and suck at it terribly. I don't want to think I about games that are coming out really soon, especially since we got Ninja Gaiden Two out. What now? Today, as we record this. I think I just give up. I don't even own any of the next-gen consoles, because I'm so far behind on the I video games I I shouldn't own them either. Bought. Yeah, me too. But I'm doing it anyway, because I'm dumb. 
And I barely have time to play video games anymore. I don't know. I might have to just give up. Metal Gear Solid 4 in like a week, along with uh, Dragon Ball Z Burst Limit. Of course, then, as we were talking about, when it comes to low prices, when I go to a video game store and they've got used games that I was thinking of buying for under $10, again, I go Yeah, that's nuts, what caused me to buy a bunch of 360 oh, games. I, do the I was same like, oh, thing. you're selling me a bundle of these for, you know, $10 each? Sure, I'll buy Armored Core 4. Right, and I'll buy, like, these weird little games. I'm like, oh, this is only $10. It's like a quirky game. And then I realize I'm never going to play this game. And the worst part is that with ever. an anime DVD, if I buy it for under $10, I can sit down and I can watch it and I can finish it. Video and game? I can finish it in, in under two hours. Whereas if you not with, buy not with God Hand for $10 and you end up playing that for a month... That's part yeah. of why I, I don't play very much anymore, because everything takes forever to get through. And a lot of games, like... Except in my for case, I just wanted to keep DS, playing God Hand. I can't just sit down and play it for a few minutes. Or a little while. It's like I have to sit down and invest hours into it. Right. See, people, this is why we do not play any MMORPGs. Yeah, because I don't know how they're a anyone waste of time can play World of Warcraft and, and still podcast and play other video games and watch anime. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't Maybe know. the secret is to have no job. I think that is the secret. I don't know how you guys like Dave Riley and those guys. Well, well, he has a job. He has a job. Do they just have no other hobbies? They sing a lot of karaoke and have a lot of sex. Yeah, lots of sex. <laughs> Broke his bed as well, so. He's a sexual yeah. Tyrannosaurus like Jesse Ventura and Predator. Well, when you bang your girlfriend so hard that you have to buy a new bed because of it. When you're rough. at the Golden Rice Bowl, I can't blame him, lady. She won't listen to the show anymore. Oh, well. I'm sorry, Graz. Anyway, we've rambled on far too long, so I guess we should get to Clarissa and Zero-Chan's segment on Dojinshi. Yay. Ray <laughs> for nerd girl tits. Big but not sexy. Never ever worn with a bra. Just as nerd boys shun deodorant. The moral is... Being a girl must suck. Altel customer has sent you a text to landline message. What up, you guys are the best. Thank you for using Altel's text to landline. This is uh, Ann Thotterson calling from Seattle, Washington, because I don't have anything better to do than clutter your inbox with useless shit. I'm listening to, like, episode, I don't know, 40-something, I'm catching up, and it just struck me that all you ever do is talk about cartoon sex. Think about that in the context of your life. Spend, like, two hours every week talking about cartoon sex. Dojinshi. Oh, God. What have we gotten ourselves into? It's something a lot of people probably have Downloaded, fapped to, you know. Yeah, a lot of people have probably heard of Dojinshi or encountered him. You might own some, but there's always new people, as was mentioned earlier. And sometimes you hear a lot of things, but you don't always get like a full introduction to things. So I'm going to start off, and theoretically we should have other Dojinshi segments at later dates that will talk about more specific things in the field of doujinshi, but for now, we're gonna do, I guess, maybe doujinshi 101, you could call it. For the first thing, what exactly is doujinshi? Well, doujinshi basically is amateur or really self-publications. Amateur is kind of misleading because the people who make doujinshi are not always amateurs. There's a lot of really big names yeah, they who can do stuff. Be. And some of them just make doujinshi for a, a living. living. Yeah. Yeah. Professional doujinshi artist. 
some people who are professional manga artists or video game creators or whatever may get started by doing doujinshi and then get recruited to a official professional job. And some people may continue to make doujinshi after that, and some people may abandon it. There are some pretty well-known people who have made doujinshi at some point or another. A lot of the doujinshi and pro crossover can be in areas like Boys Love Manga or Hentai Manga Porn. or Erogay Hentai Games, things this like that. This is the lion's share of what we see here in the U.S. Yeah. And the internet. Right. Well, it's also that I think a lot of people who are kind of regular manga artists, like regular shonen or shoujo or even seinen manga artists, are not necessarily otaku. Like, doujinshi is kind of an otaku thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily just anime and manga otaku, but they might be military otaku or train otaku or music otaku. But nonetheless, it's usually kind of underground people. So a lot of your typical shonen and shoujo manga artists might not necessarily be otaku, so they may never really be involved in the doujinshi scene or know a lot about it. And then also, you know, if you have somebody who's a, a reasonably... If they're, like, drawing for a weekly magazine, they don't have time to make this shit. Yeah, yeah, they're so busy. So, I mean, one really, really well-known artist group that got their start doing doujinshi was Clamp. I mean, they originally started as a doujinshi circle. They had, like, 11 people. Clamp used to do doujinshi based off of several different shonen manga series and some novel things. They've done doujinshi for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They did Devil Man of all things. Samurai Troopers, a.k.a. Ronin Warriors, Shirado, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, all kinds of stuff. And then gradually, the numbers got weaned down until it was the four people that everybody, you know, knows now that works on their pro manga. And they don't do doujinshi anymore because they're a clamp and they, you know, are serialized in weekly magazines and they do all these different titles and they have interviews and other appearances. They're super busy, which is probably why they are doing Subasa Reservoir Chronicle, which is like, oh shit, we can't do doujinshi anymore. Quick, let's just do doujinshi of our own stuff. It's the next best thing. A lot of the boys love manga artists that are popular now got their start in doujinshi because, like, after traditional shonen eye, like, the classic shoujo type thing started fading in popularity, when they wanted to get new people, a lot of those new people came out of doujinshi. They looked at a lot of the people who were doing yaoi doujinshi for, like, Captain Tsubasa and all these other series. This was, like, in the late 80s, early 90s, around that time. And so you got people like Minami Ozaki, who did bronze. So, So wait, that's not... Not, that's no longer true. I always thought that sort of was extended to the entire manga industry at this point, that the doujinshi levels is kind of where they farm new talent or where they get the next person from. It is. For everything. I think for a lot of mainstream stuff, they do have a lot of contests and other things, like the new manga artist mm-hmm. contests where they'll do submissions. And I think that's how a lot of the people who are not otaku and not into doujinshi get into things. There are definitely still people who get into it that way. I mean, I don't remember when Takanaga Hinako's first professional boys love manga was but I'm pretty sure that it was not that long ago and I know that she had done doujinshi for like Ashita no Jo and such before I know that a lot of the hentai manga talent comes from that because I yeah. guess there's so many adult 
doujinchis that are made. But oh, I guess sure. they farm a lot of the hentai manga talent. Eroge as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's pretty pretty massive. The illustrator who does stuff for the Leaf games was farmed from the doujin scene, and her stuff before she got employed by them is worth a shit ton of money now. Yeah. And we can't forget Tsukihime mm. either. Type Moon? Yeah. They started out doing doujin games, and then those became so massively popular that now they do it professionally, and they've had anime adaptations made of their stuff. So, in a lot of ways, it's kind of an amateur thing, but it's not really completely amateur. It, it's more of a self-driven thing, I'd say. It's kind of a manifestation of, this is what I want to do because I damn well feel like it. Right. And what I want to do is have Hinata grow a dick and bone <laughs> Naruto girl form in the butt, which is mainly how people find the AWO website is by doing Google image searches for queries such as that. Naruto porn. Yeah. Teen fisting. Yeah. Specifically Naruto porn now. We have never reviewed Naruto on this podcast, for the record. It's a mystery. It's not that much of a mystery. The mystery is Alexander Strange and the picture of Lane <laughs> with a gun in her mouth. From a thumbnail size, looks like Hinata putting a large black phallus <laughs> inside her mouth. And therefore, the Google image search is just off the charts. Thank you, Alexander Strange. Oh, man. Thank you. Yeah, a, lo a lot of the professionals that still do doujinshi, I mean, that is part of it, that when you do professional manga, there's all kinds of demands and guidelines from the publisher, and fans have certain expectations and things that they want to see. Whereas with doujinshi, yeah, there are things that are going to be popular and things that are going to be less popular in doujinshi. But since you're doing it yourself, there's not really anybody that's going to directly tell you what to do. Except the Japanese government. So there's a lot more freedom. And also there's a lot bigger profit margin. Right. Because for a professional publication, you only get whatever percentage of royalties or whatever for your work and everything else goes to like the publishing company and whatnot. With doujinshi, you have whatever you have to make up for what you shelled out to the printer. But after that, the money all goes to you. And by the printer, you mean the copy machine at the convenience store. That too. No, no, no. I mean, they actually... Their entire In Japan, companies like, there are... are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of, like, small print shops that'll do professional quality printing and binding. I mean, there still are copybon copy or copy books where they are basically photocopies stapled together. One thing I wanted to mention is that as far as copybon go, sometimes if you're in a really small fandom, even with the low printing prices, it's not economically feasible to like print even 50 copies of your book. So that's why we see things like copybon. Plus, you have to have a lead time for right. uh, some of your printings, and you won't have yeah. that in some cases, especially if you're rushed, which is why sometimes you'll even see professionals putting out just stuff they copied down at 7-Eleven or shit like that. Some of those get really, really valuable because they usually only lay like 10 or 20 of those pretty crazy they're often very hard to find because a lot of resellers don't necessarily stock some of yeah, those they're not exactly at the highest quality either We've been talking a lot about manga artists and some about games, so I should probably point out that doujinshi really covers a pretty wide range of things. Most people over here are familiar primarily with manga-type doujinshi and also, to a lesser extent, doujin games. But it really covers pretty much everything. I mean, yes, you have your manga-style doujins, you also have novels, which are all text, with maybe a couple illustrations. You've got kind of your fanzine-type doujins, where it might be, like, people writing articles about different things and then putting that together. 
and with like some photos or other artwork. You do have your games or Dojin Soft. And then uh, there's also Dojin Music. I should mention Dojin Goods. It's possible to have mugs and towels and t-shirts and even little uh, laminated cards and pins made. Those are sold quite a bit. Yes. What's the line between those and just straight up bootlegs? Just like other doujinshi, they're illustrations done by the person doing them. Okay. They're not copies of commercial pencil boards or trading cards or whatever. They're actually, just like the manga-style doujinshi, they have artwork that's done by the circle that's selling them. There's even, like, literary papers doujinshi I've seen. There's even photo books where they'll have photographs of a naked woman and she's sitting there selling her own photo book right there. Yeah. And then there's um, doujin music or doujin ongaku or otoke. I'm starting to see more of a presence of it in the English-speaking area now, whereas it didn't used to be very well known. It covers everything from sort of like overclock remix style reworkings of video game music or things like that, or DJ Sharpnel type things where they take some music and then like vocal clips from anime or other things and then mix it together into electronic music. But then you also have completely original compositions. You have soundtracks for doujin games. One guy I know did soundtracks for uh, fictional video games. He like wrote music that was in the style of particular video games. Like he's done a fictional Castlevania soundtrack. It's pretty cool stuff. Wow, Mira right. Sorvino would be proud. <laughs> no, Mira Furlon is what I meant to say. But I was going to ask, is this where Vocaloid falls in? Well, Vocaloid is actually a commercial product. The program... I mean, like, the things people make with it. I should probably clarify what this is for people who may never have heard of it. I don't know how popular it is over here. But there's a computer program that basically what it does is it takes artificial voices and then you input music and lyrics into it and it will output a singing voice. A company in Japan released custom voices for this software. I think the first one that they did, or no, maybe it was the second one, Vocaloid 2, is um, Hatsune Miku. They, they created characters and there's Hatsune Miku and there's a whole bunch of other ones as well. I forget all of their names. Miku's probably the most popular. It's basically like Sharon Apple from Macross Plus, only for real. And also does not take over your computer and make you start Cause murdering you to... everything. Yeah. Not... Right. That's, the, that's in the next <laughs> yes. patch. I'm sure they'll get to that eventually, and also the attachment that lets you have sex with her. And so what people do is they take the Vocaloid pack, and then they either use Hatsune Miku's voice to re-sing well-known songs or to sing some of their own music. So you will see a, a lot of original doujin music that comes out that'll be voiced by Hatsune Miku. A lot of this is on YouTube. Or other. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, the other thing that we've talked about in the course of here that we should touch on at least briefly, and I know we had at least one request to, is, is the question of porn Yay, in terms of doujinshi. Most people are familiar with doujinshi over here in the context of porn. Because, like we've said before, you don't need to understand Japanese to be able to enjoy porn. What's my motivation for like, this scene? <laughs> yeah. This person's not acting in character. It doesn't really matter that much for the most part. I mean, there are some people who may be picky about some of that stuff and who would prefer... I mean, I do like to be able to read it. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's not very well written, and then I kind of regret the fact that I ended up just reading sometimes. it. Instead of just looking <laughs> at the pretty pictures. <laughs> There are some who are actually good writers as well as good uh, artists or pornographers. Generally speaking, in common internet parlance, the word doujinshi is almost synonymous with pornography, 
even though that is yeah. not yeah. actually now, the case at all. Majority of doujinshi it's is not porn, pornographic, right. but in terms of volume, like what actually sells the most copies, it's generally the porn. If you go to like the shops in Akihabara or wherever, it's gonna be porn. Okay, and it's also just the fact that of all those doujinshi that get bought. The things that get scanned and put on the internet are almost always porn because most of the people doing right. that scanning are horrible human beings. Uh, people who go to Japan, like American fans who go and they get things and they scan it. Or yeah. people who know people who are into that sort of thing. That's what gets put on the internet and that's the worldwide perception of it and therefore that becomes the reality of it. Right. That's caused some problems as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean... The scanning? Well, yeah, yeah the, the, scanning. the scanning doujinshi. Yeah, it has. I know, Zero-Chan, you've talked about this when you've gone to some of the events that there are people who right. will not sell to foreigners. Scanning and reselling. Because they know all the foreigners are only there just to pick up things and scan them and put them on the Pretty internet. Pretty much, yeah. And so much of these doujinshi works involve existing characters and properties, and for the most part, right. uh, the Japanese rights holders are willing to overlook it because, like you said, a lot of the new up-and-coming talent does come and, from the uh, doujinshi, doujinshi circles, but also because since they're self-published, they're not generally meant to be in very high print runs, exactly. Right. And so... The act of scanning it and putting it out there nullifies that whole, well, it's a very small-scale distribution thing because suddenly yeah. tens of thousands of people can get this and it's freely available or easily accessible, I should say. Yeah. Well, there's also things like some people... Doujinshi is kind of an underground thing and especially for some of the things that might be pornographic or whatever. A lot of the people, I mean, they tend to use pen names and not put their real names, but they do have to put some contact information in the books. I believe they actually passed well, it's a, a, not law. a law. but the publishers and the conventions where this is still mandated. Okay. And so I know that there are some people who, the other people that they know, like, don't know that they make doujinshi, or, like, their family won't really know, and so it kind of makes them uncomfortable if it gets that widely distributed, because I guess maybe they're sort of worried that people might connect the dots. <laughs> there have been a few doujinshi creators that have been That's, sued as well. Uh, sued and arrested. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was, it kind of uh, goes in phases. Yes, it happened very recently. Plus, he was arrested for some Super Robot Wars doujin because the censorship was not good enough. Yes, it was porn and... Okay, that's, that's oh, another right, matter. Right. Uh, it's so weird. See, it's like you're under arrest for Super Robot Wars doujin, which is almost like <laughs> the officially licensed doujinshi yeah, of yeah. video gaming in that it's take a <laughs> yeah. bunch of shows it's basically and cross fan over fiction fan with a million dollar and budget. get Jam Project yep. to sing the song. There was Go a on. woman who was arrested for doing Pokemon doujinshi, and she actually lost her job over this. Yeah. Which is why what Clarissa is saying, people don't want you to find out. Yeah. I know my friends are... Don't want it to be known what your real name right. is. Right. Even in Western fandoms, among like fanfiction circles and stuff, I've known some people have had issues like losing their jobs or whatever over getting outed as slash fanfiction writers or whatever. Was that the woman who got sued by Nintendo because she uh, wrote like a doujinshi of Satoshi raping that, that's Pikachu? A rumor. I don't Isn't know. that what every Pokemon doujinshi is? It's like <laughs> not, it's not enough for it to be porn Pokemon. It's always gay Pokemon porn. Like all, almost 100%. I'd say 96% is the gay Pokemon. Poke a man. That's basically where they get the <laughs> concept from. But uh, there was also that one case, it was just last year or something, where there was that one doujin circle that wrote, like, an ending to Doraemon. And right, this right. thing got a really high print run. 
Doraemon, which is like the Mickey Mouse of Asia. I don't know if maybe it was the print run issue or if it was also that... Uh, it was that and that it looked a lot like the yeah. original comic. It seemed like a legitimate real ending to Doraemon. It wasn't right. clear that you could tell that it was not officially licensed yeah. Doraemon right. stuff. It is interesting to talk about the fan issues and everything because even though a lot of doujinshi is fan-based, it'll be doujins of existing video games or anime or manga or whatever, there's a lot of original material in doujinshi right. as well. Some of it may be from amateur authors and some of it may be pros who are doing other original stuff. Right. Haibane Renmei was experimental doujin. And sometimes there are people who do, like, doujinshi of their own official manga. A lot of times there'll be even people who are professionals who still do doujinshi who will do stuff in doujins first and then it'll move over into their manga or like they'll do stuff in both at the same time or they'll do continuations. Yoshinaga Fumi did Antique Bakery in uh, Wings, which is a shoujo anthology. That did four volumes and then it ended. And then she continued doing Antique in doujinshi. And they do continue directly on from the official manga. Some of Nida Yoka's Haruo Daiteta, which I reviewed in an earlier episode, she does doujinshi with that, and some of the stories from her doujins have then later turned up slightly altered in the official manga, but not all of them. You gotta love Maki Murakami and the uh, Inside the Ass Cam. Yes, if you ever wanted to know what the inside of Shuichi's intestines look like... As he's getting reamed by That uh, is the most Yuki. vital camera angle in Japanese pornography history, and we'll probably track its yeah. evolution well, during the Cream Levin segment. What's interesting is that you used to not really see that very to much. Quote Rama in one third, I Yowie love it when it gets all pixelated inside. I get a lot more explicit as of late. I think the next evolution is the cellular level. There are entire events, even. I know for BL, there's an event called J-Garden that happens at least once a year. It might be more, but I think it's a once a year. And that is entirely for original June material. It's my understanding that those smaller events are so commonplace that there's probably one happening every day. <laughs> Or at least every week. Yeah, there's a website that I use as reference when I'm doing database stuff for doujins, tracking when stuff came out. And it lists basically every doujin event, theoretically. I think they took everything before 2000 off, unfortunately. But And they have all the new stuff. And just the sheer number of events is crazy. And they get awfully specific, don't they? Yeah, here's the event that is only about Roy Mustang having sex with Ed Elric, and Ed Elric has to be a cat, and Roy Mustang <laughs> has to be a fox, or something ridiculous like that. And then they sell their own unique stationery, and then Aaron goes to these yeah. events. Speaking of events, we've kind of covered what doujinshi is. Where do they of. push the stuff? Yeah, well, how do you get doujinshi? The best way to break this down, I think, is by like, a couple subcategories and then stuff under that. The first subcategory is to buy doujinshi basically directly from the circle. Right. The main way that this happens is through events. You have really massive, gigantic events like Comic Market, aka Comicet, which happens twice a year and is absolutely huge. There's one in summer and one in winter. And yeah, every anime that's about otaku, whether it's Otaku no Video or Comic Party or Genshiken, Genshiken. all of them in some way involve the characters going to Comicet. Or something that's Right, like it's held at the Tokyo Big Site. It's just ridiculously massive. There are tens of thousands of people. Zero Chan, you've been to Comic Con, haven't you? 
I've been six or seven times. I should be going again this summer. I've only been to the summer one once. I usually go to the winter ones because the weather is about a billion times more manageable. If you can imagine navigating halls filled with tens of yeah. thousands of people in heat that is 90 degrees outside. And lots of big, fat, sweaty fanboys with no hygiene, No, no, right? no. That's the see, thing about Comic Market is that it's three days long and each day is devoted to kind of a separate thing. Like, the first two days are usually reserved mostly for the girls. Right. And on day one, you'll have all the video games, you'll have all the jump stuff, you'll have whatever anime or manga series is really hot mm-hmm. right now. The first time I went, it was Prince of Tennis. A couple of years later, it was Full Metal Alchemist. Right. So whatever Neo Shonen title is at the top of the pack for that year, I've invented this new word called Neo Shonen to denote the newer style shonen series of the last 20-some years that are intentionally designed to appeal to girls as well as boys. Some of them, such as Prince of Tennis, are only enjoyed by women. No straight men watch that show. It's a fact. The third day is always when all This the... year is going to be a lot of Macross Frontier. Mark my <laughs> words. A lot of Alto Cross Luca. I don't know. I think right now it's been a Hitman Reborn on the Yaoi side. Yet another so-called Shonen series that runs in Shonen Jump. No guys care about Hitman Reborn. A lot of Gundam 00 also. Yeah, the third day is always when all the porn comes out. At least the guy-oriented porn. The yaoi comes out. But the it's, third it's, day? it's porn and something else are on the third day, right? And the something else is something really bizarre that has nothing to do with porn. Yeah, porn, original content, and doujin software. Games. And the third day is always the most packed. Now, since you've gone so many times, how accurately depicted is Comicat in, like, Genshiken and things like that? Surprisingly accurate. Take that as you will. So it is basically just a nut house? It's surprisingly organized. You don't see the kind of retarded overreaction you see at American cons. You won't see idiots standing around with signs saying, Will Yaoi if somebody gives me their hot, I don't know, Yoko Dojin or shit like that. You don't get that. It's a lot more civil and a lot more organized. People generally behave because they know... And by civil and organized, you mean the first however many people in the door sprint to their given destination because they've got their phone book with the layout of it, and it's like, oh, we know there's only going to be ten of these, and whoever gets there first wins. Right. There are some circles. Sometimes it'll be the circles that are for the professional artists, and sometimes it may just be non-professionals who just get really, really popular popular for whatever reason, but there'll always be like a few big circles that have really, really long lines because they're super in demand and it's very difficult to get their stuff. And it always sucks if you're trying to buy it later because it gets marked up all to hell. They usually uh, schedule the layout of comic markets so that the circles with the long lines will always be on the outside perimeter of the hall. Right. So there's actually some pretty good planning. I actually had a, a friend who went there and was saying that they actually do an amazing job with organizing it just by the interest as well. Yes, definitely. Well, they have, like, clusters of... Yeah, they'll have, like, the, the Futanari section, and then they'll have the shitting dick nipple section. I didn't yeah. actually know that that was a section, <laughs> but it's, it's actually, section. like, multiple groups. What was the really funny thing? There was some re- hilarious juxtaposition of something next to shitting dick nipples. Shoda. It was Shoda. Hmm. I thought it was something more hilarious than that, but... Shoda's pretty hilarious, I think. <laughs> Especially, like, to the victims of Catholic priest child molestation. They can't get enough. Uh, but Comic Head is, I guess, also, like, Comic City are kind of the exceptions. There are those few really, really big events that happen once There's or twice a year. Why do Yuziga get his own event? 
I don't know. Maybe I there's just a section of Comicette devoted um, to sudden infant death syndrome. You go to this table. More jokes about sudden infant death syndrome and crib death are needed on this podcast. And then the rest of the year will be a lot of really scattered, one day only, very small events. Some of them are just for a particular show, and then sometimes it'll be particular fetishes or interests, like you've got Mimi Ket, which is all for people with animal ears. And then you have specific pairing events. I don't remember if it was ongoing or if it was a one-time. That Kion from Haruhi Suzumiya, but only as an uke in yaoi pairings. They have those too. Watch your Kion hole, bud. They now have Kion as a girl-only event, like gender swapping. That's how specific these things get. Oh yeah, I, I heard that's really popular now, Kionko. Yeah, Kionko. Have you ever been to one of these smaller events? I haven't, actually. I've always been meaning to go to one, but I'm never around during the time when one that would interest me is going on. So there's not the opposite of Kion Co. would be like Vanessa Kuhn or something like that? I don't know if there's like the <laughs> Virtua Fighter, <laughs> Vanessa is a guy. Oh, dear. Only. The events are usually held in like a hotel or like a public hall that they rent the space out for about four or five hours. They set stuff up, they sell stuff, there might be some cosplay or some stupid contents. Then they'll be like, oh, okay, we're done. See you next year. These are the substitutes for anime cons in Japan then, more or less. Because it's not like they really have anime cons in Japan. They have these things instead, and they're more geared towards specific stuff. And they aren't necessarily three days or whatever. Our anime cons are based off of older style sci-fi conventions and things like that. So in Japan, things kind of happen differently. So yeah, the biggest way that a lot of people get doujins is through going to these events. And then the circles will set up their tables and you go up and you purchase them. And doujinshi are usually pretty cheap. They're mostly not very long. There are exceptions. I know one of the Gurenlagen doujins that I got from Comic Cat 73 was this Mechano doujin, and it's like 200 and something pages. Most of the time, if you get something that long, it's usually a reprint collection. Or it's something done by a bunch of people, an anthology. Yeah, right. I've actually got an anthology here. There's this famous anthology series called Megaton Punch. It's headed up by Kenichi Sonoda. It's not really pornographic. It's more like a lot of gag manga and weird things like that. But that's kind of a lot of the right. heavy-duty pros get into those. Right. I think Rumiko Takashi's even done stuff for Megaton Punch. Yeah. Yeah. So other than the events, what are the other main methods for getting a hold of this stuff? A lot of circles will have their own website. A lot of the ones that have websites will have mail order. So you can contact them usually through a form that they'll put up on their website. Unfortunately, obviously the events require you to either be in Japan at the event or to know somebody who can go to the event for you and pick things up. And a lot of times the website people won't ship internationally. Right, because they're usually doing it on their own, and so international shipping and all of that would be kind of a hassle, and their English is maybe not so good, so they generally don't do any overseas orders. So unfortunately, with the exception of having people that you know over in Japan who can get stuff for you this way, 
It's not really an option. Other than knowing somebody personally, the other thing you can do is use a proxy service. You pay them what it costs for the item and the shipping inside Japan and all of that. Plus, you usually pay them a certain fee, which is how they stay in business. Unfortunately, even for the proxy services that aren't very expensive, it tends to add up really quickly because you have the proxy fee, even if it's not a lot, there's a bank transfer fee, and then you have the shipping inside Japan, then they have to ship it to you internationally. And by the time you add all that together, items that are not really very expensive when you first buy them can end up costing a lot more. It may not be that much more than you would pay through other methods, but still it's not really going to be as cheap as if you were over there to buy it or you know somebody who'll get it for you and not charge you anything. One thing that they've started doing recently is digital sales of doujinshi, like manga-style doujinshi and doujin games. There are sites like Digiket and DL Site. They've actually opened an English version of DL Site, but I believe even people from overseas can buy from the regular Japanese version of DL Site and Digiket. It's just that the pages are kind of difficult to navigate if you don't know Japanese. Basically there you can buy PDF versions of books or you can buy downloads for doujin games. I don't really know what kind of percentage the seller gets. I do know that the prices I've seen on Digiket and DL site are much less than buying from resellers who'll sell you the actual physical Probably because they don't have copies. Paper. So I don't really know how that works with the store's cut versus the circles. I think the fact that they don't have to actually reprint the stuff makes the cost a lot lower. So if you don't mind not owning a physical book, that's another good way that you can get doujinshi and actually give your money to the right. person who created it. All the other methods for buying doujinshi involve buying through resellers, which means that you're not actually giving your money to the person who made the book. I mean, they did get money because somebody had to buy it from them in the first place, but you do pay a lot of markup. There are resellers inside Japan. There are big stores like Toronoana or Melon Books or K-Books. Most of those stores operate on a commission basis, meaning they'll charge about 200-300 yen more than you would buy it at convention for. That's kind of the commission fee, but the rest of it goes back directly to the artist. Some of those sites do have online stores, but again, they usually don't ship overseas. Toronoana will not ship overseas. Again, you can use a proxy service, but then the price gets jacked way up once you have to factor in all those other things. There's always auction sites. People sell doujinshi on eBay. The big thing on eBay you have to worry about is there are a lot of really, really shitty people on eBay that sell CDs with scans of doujinshi on them. They're horrible, horrible people. Whatever your thoughts on scanning are... That is just skeezy. Don't pay money to somebody mm -hmm. for scans that they downloaded off the internet. Usually when you have the people that are doing CDs, you can tell because the auction will be for a large number of doujinshi. Always be really suspicious of those. There are a lot of people on eBay who are just selling stuff from their collection. There are also some people in Japan who do sell doujinshi on eBay in English. Some of them charge pretty reasonable prices. Some of the ones even in Japan charge you a lot of markup even before you pay the international shipping. I know there's one store that always pisses me off. I don't remember exactly the name of it, but they're located in Japan and they have really good stuff, but they'll charge like $20 a book. 
even though they're in Japan and I know they didn't have to pay that much to get it. That's usually the price you'll wind up paying if you see this stuff at conventions as well. You know, the guy who sits there screaming, Yay! Right, and that's the annoying thing is it's $20 a book and then it's still in Japan so you still have to pay international shipping on top of it. So I always hate those ones. There's also Yahoo Japan auctions, but that has the same problems as all the other Japanese vending things. Most of the sellers on Yahoo Japan auctions don't ship overseas. They know Reiki deal with round eye. Right. So, again, you're kind of stuck with a proxy service. There's stuff that you can find on Yahoo Japan auctions that you can't find through vendors here. So, it's definitely useful. If you're in Japan itself, too, there's several chains of doujinshi stores. Mandaraka is probably the most famous, but other retailers like K-Books usually have a pretty healthy stock of used stuff. Usually, it's not just for recent stuff, either. It's a good way to find things for older series and fandoms that were printed, like, 10, 15 years ago. I know for some of the old retro games I like, that's the way I burgeoned my doujin collections. Yeah. One of the easiest things for a lot of people, because you don't have to mess with proxies or any of the other stuff, is domestic resellers, which is people at conventions that'll have doujinshi for sale. There's also a lot of little tiny doujin shops. Maybe it's a few people, and they'll go to Japan every now and then and pick up some stuff and then the bring it back to and this sell is it. Like you're usually paying much more than you'd ordinarily pay, and most of the time yeah. what they buy, they buy it used, and then they turn around and sell it as if you were buying a new one. Right. Yeah, some of the stuff I see selling on eBay for like 20 bucks costs 100 yen at Mandarake. There's a pretty good profit racket going Yeah, on. it's kind of rough to compare the prices because international shipping is so expensive. And then with the proxy, sometimes even though the books themselves are a lot cheaper in Japan, for somebody over here in America, it's not really that much cheaper by the end result. But the biggest problem is the sellers over here, the selection is so limited. And it's always what's popular right now. Yeah, all they carry is the absolutely most popular shows. They'll have a lot of Naruto, they might still have a lot of Final Fantasy stuff and Gundam Wing or whatever. But if you want small fandoms or artists that are not as popular, you're kind of out of luck with most of the domestic resellers. I collect doujinshi for Blackjack, and Blackjack is not popular over here. But you can find Blackjack circles at Comic Market. Yeah. I would say that the doujinshi reseller is a microcosm of the entire AnimeCon dealer's room. There's usually maybe about two or three dealers, perhaps. I can almost never find Blackjack Dojins from resellers over here. The only real English resource that I usually find them at is JP Queen, which is a used manga and doujin and character goods store in Japan. Their site is in English, but even their selection for that stuff is really limited, so... For stuff like that, you really end up having to go through Yahoo Japan auctions or Japanese doujin stores or whatever. Yeah, some of this stuff is going to be just absolute hell to track down, especially if you're like me and you're kind of into smaller fandoms. I know I've looked for a couple books that I can't even find in Japan because there's right. thousands upon thousands of doujin put out each year, and some yeah. of it has ridiculously tiny print runs. So 
if it's not super popular, there's a lot of stuff for not super popular series, but it gets printed in very low quantities. It's not easily found outside of conventions, even in the used dojin shops. And if you're really into collecting these obscure fandoms, if a reseller finds out that, hey, there's a demand for this stuff, but it's hard to get, he's going to jack up prices like you would not believe. I've seen some smaller fandom stuff go for hundreds of dollars. Right, did right. you say? Sometimes that happens for popular things too. Like it's usually not really popular fandoms because usually there'll be so many artists making stuff. That kind of thing usually happens with really popular artists, which may be people who are professionals and either they're old doujinshi that are now out of print and hard to find, but even some of their new stuff. If they're still making it, then from them it's not too expensive. But from resellers, the Gurren Logan book I was talking about is from Mekano, GD Mekano. She's a popular artist, and so her books are in demand. So all of her stuff, when you're buying through the resellers, gets really marked up. Some of like Yoshinaga Fumi's older doujinshi, I'm trying to find some of her um, Legend of the Galactic Heroes doujins, her like old Rose of Versailles books and stuff, and those, because she's not making them anymore, and she's a really popular manga artist, those are really expensive, even if you buy them in Japan at Mandarake or whatever. Right. Clamps old doujinshi can Sometimes go for stuff a will lot just show up in price even after the convention, if it was a hard buy. I've seen some stuff I bought from Nobuteru Yuki, just illustration books, double yeah. in price just about a week after the show ended. So it's kind of a weird market. Buying doujins is a rough hobby. Just don't be dumb and consider doujinshi an investment because it's not. It's not like buying comic books, but if you consider that an investment, you are phenomenally retarded. Don't like hop into the doujin collecting business expecting to make millions. Yeah, Yeah, really not that many doujinshi really go up that much in price. No, most of them go down or kind of stay at the same level. It's only for the really rare cases. Right. The majority of old doujins just kind of disappear and get sold for bargain bin prices. I bought a lot of 60 Saint Seiya doujins from the 80s and the early 90s off of Yahoo Japan for like $20. They're not really worth anything. It's kind of tricky, and unfortunately, if you're not in Japan, or you don't have a really good friend in Japan that is willing to pick stuff up for you... I hear you've got a friend in Japan courtesy of Peter Payne and JList.com, is that true? (laughs) No, no. Peter Payne is a horrible, horrible liar. If you can swing that, it's a really good deal, and you don't have to pay a lot of money. But for most of the time, people over here, you end up having to pay so much in markup and shipping. It gets kind of rough sometimes. It's not like they're gigantic books, and I mean, some of them are really well-printed and really gorgeous, but a lot of them are just kind of normal, and sometimes it gets kind of rough with the amount of money you have to dump into it. I mean, I like it anyway. I guess what annoys me sometimes as well is that I've got a small collection of the non-porn stuff because some of that is very, very funny. I talked about right. the Kiki's delivery service that was crossed with Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Things like that. That's such a good book. I really want a copy it's of that. It's such a great book. It's amazing. And I mean, I just found that at a con somewhere and it was just packed in with the regular hentai stuff. I actually have a wacky races doujinshi that's, again, <laughs> thank God, not pornographic. It's just interesting. But unfortunately, much like the vendors over here not carrying small fandoms, a lot of them don't carry the stuff that's not porn, because like we said, that is a lot less interesting if you can't read it, so it's harder for them to sell it to a lot of people over here. I don't know, anybody else have any thoughts before we uh, 
Oh, well, we've really or... only, like, scratched... That sounds like a pretty decent introduction. <laughs> introduction. We've really kind of only scratched the surface. There's a lot of kind of dynamics to the Dojin scene, like what kind of determines what's popular. There's actually a kind of an interesting article I ran across the other day that talked about how uh, Jump has kind of gone to being actively antagonistic toward Fujoshi to Wanu slash the characters to more recently pandering towards that audience because the Dojinshi buying audience they found Yes, it's the Neo Shonen advent. The true Shonen genre died 20 some years ago. We have to come up with a new name. Yeah. I do have a question, and I mean, this might be kind of a weird thing, but how reflective of the popularity of a show is the number of doujinshi that come out uh, for it? Pretty, pretty reflective. He was the doujinshi for, like, a Zai fan, which gets, like, a billion times more ratings each week than... Oh, I'm sure Sazai-san porn right? is its own section of the comic hit. Oh, there is some. <laughs> it's more like what's popular yeah. with otaku will often be popular in doujinshi as well. So stuff like Ava or Sailor Moon or Gundam will get a lot of stuff for it. I tend to wonder if popular shows get a lot if, like, I understand that Code Geass was very popular, and Code Geass is a show that was kind of engineered. We will talk about the popularity of Code Geass. Yes, well, I mean, mean, my point is that it's a show that's engineered to be popular with men and women. They engineer these certain characters in the show. And then there's a show like Air Master that is not necessarily very engineered to work well pornographically, I suppose. Oh, that has but to stop. But it's still right. a very popular show. And so it Neo seems like Shonen there's... Neo is the engineered genre. Yeah. There's some really terrible shit that gets a lot of doujins. There's also differences in the overall doujin market, as opposed to when you get into certain subsets. In terms of the Fujoshi for Yaoi doujinshi, what's popular in Yaoi doujinshi does not really represent what's popular, say, with females overall, right. necessarily. There's generally not a lot of yaoi doujinshi for shoujo, anime or manga. Shonen manga and anime tends to be very popular with girls as well as boys, and that tends to be what gets the most popular among yaoi doujinshi because they tend to have a lot more guys in the cast. All of the really important emotional relationships in shonen tend to be between the male characters, so there's lots and lots of material to work with. I can't really think of very many massive yaoi fandoms that were not usually shonen jump series or like Gundam. Hagaren, Full Metal Alchemist, has been really huge. That's true, and that's not a jump, but yeah, that was really big for a while. And then, like I said, I think right now it's Hitman Reborn, which is another jump title. But I know that Gundam 00 has gotten a lot of action, and I know that there's been a pretty decent showing for, like, Gurren Logan and Tutera. Yeah, I have a pretty some Tutera. There's probably not a whole lot of Berserk Dojinshi, because Kentaro Miura draws it right in. Tentacle Rape? Sure. Let's go for it, guys. <laughs> been ten pages since we haven't seen demons raping an entire village. Berserk is probably one of those that Guts is probably a little too muscly to be super popular with Fujoshi. True saying in spirit versus the... Oh, de- I got you. baby. Much to the chagrin of my roommate. There are Yaoi Dojinshi of Hajime no Ippo. There are Yaoi Dojinshi of, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Fist of the North Star and stuff. But those don't tend to be, like, as popular. They're not, like, really massive. Fist of the North Star is, like, number one subject for just a general parody in Dojin, I've found. We've got stuff like Azumanga Keno, which I think was featured on the show a while back. Yeah. yeah Studio oh, God, I really, really love all those Dojins. I, I think it's all, like, one artist. Mm-hmm. It's all done by one woman. She puts out these 
endless books. Kenshiro and the like other Fist of the North Star hearts. guys dressed up as Pokemon. <clears throat> Fist of the North Star guys dressed up as Azamanga Dayo characters. Dressed up as Rosen Maiden characters. And they're so good. I really want to own every single one of those. There was also a Marimite one. Yeah. One? They've done them for so many. There's a Doraemon one. Sometimes it's hard to get an idea of what really um are the biggest ones if you can't actually go to the events, though. We only see, like, such a limited amount of what comes out. If you can ever find the catalogs and check those out, or, say, the online catalogs, sometimes somebody will upload the entire uh, Comic Hit catalog, and you can see things there. It kind of gives you a good idea. Usually in these catalogs, they print things called circle cuts. The circle draws something and explains what they're going to be selling, things like that. And usually looking at those gives you a good idea of what's popular. What's interesting to me is what they make a lot of doujin events for, because I know when I look through the event listings, sometimes it's interesting to see what fandoms get a huge number of events dedicated solely to those shows or characters from those shows. Sometimes there's ones that I wasn't really aware of as being super massive fandoms, but it seems like there's a lot of events for them. There are so many Sengoku Basada events and Sengoku Muso. Those are Dynasty Warriors? Is Dynasty that... Warriors okay. and Devil Kings. I think also Samurai Warriors. Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, and Devil Kings. Oh, right. Devil Kings is right. Basara, It's the right? Americanized version of Basara. Hmm. What do they consider those events that they don't necessarily sell books at, but they have a Marimite Tea Garden event? Hmm. Are those considered doujin events at all? Some of those sorts of events are officially sanctioned, and some are just oh, really? uh, okay. kind of fan-gathering type deals. There might be doujin or stuff sold at them, but it's not okay. explicitly advertised. Yeah, and of course they do have cosplay-only events as well. I'm hoping to do some other segments where we'll go into some of these aspects in more detail later. But I think for now, probably, hopefully everybody has a pretty good understanding of kind of the basics, if you didn't know before. If you did know, hopefully maybe there was something new that you weren't aware yes. of that you found out. 